The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, kids, for helping us think about that story from Luke. It is a real privilege to be with you all this morning. I think I say that all the time, but I was thinking this morning, it really is a real privilege. A year ago, we were doing this from our house and had been doing it from our house for six months, you know, and um, would continue to do it. And so it is just a huge privilege to be here with you face to face, to see your faces and to be together in community. This morning, we're exploring one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible, the story of Jesus's birth. And Matthew starts telling the story like this from uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill, Matthew says. What the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. I feel quite confident you've heard it. You know the main characters. A young woman engaged to be married, now suddenly discovering that she is miraculously pregnant, carrying a baby in her womb created by the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is God's own presence. So in this birth story, God is on the scene God is on the move. The same spirit that hovered over the waters at creation here hovers with Mary and creates a child. But Matthew focuses our attention on the man she's engaged to be married, on Joseph. He doesn't know that the pregnancy is miraculous, of course. He assumes Mary has been unfaithful to him. No judgment there. He assumes Mary's broken God. and righteousness that he decides to divorce her quietly. He considers her shame even as he thinks she's betrayed him. He's going to divorce her, but he'll keep it hush-hush. And then he has a dream that changes everything. The angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid. This child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. 
The angel not only tells Joseph that God's on the scene, on the move, behind and at work in this miraculous virgin birth, he also tells Joseph what this birth means. A son who will save the people of God from their sins. What sins do you ask? All the sins, Matthew says. The big ones and the little ones. The little idolatries and the big ones, the little injustices, the failures to love your neighbor and your enemy, and maybe most in Matthew's original audience's minds, the national sins of idolatry and injustice that had put them in a situation where they're living in the promised land, but they've got rulers who oppress them and manipulate them and make their lives miserable. Those sins, all the sins, every sin... This child created in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit will deal with all of that. That's the story. But Matthew interrupts his story to try to tell us something deeper about the meaning. In 122 through 23, he says this, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All this took place to fulfill. All this that's happening took place to fulfill the words spoken by a prophet. Matthew will use that language again and again in his story about Jesus. All this took place to fulfill. But what does that mean? Fulfill how? I'm a Bible teacher for a living, so if you're in my Bible class, I'd say, well, what do we do when we're confused? Matthew's quoting a prophet. Let's go look up the prophet. It's not hard to find. Right there at the bottom of your Bible or in the middle, it says Matthew's quoting from Isaiah 7. So you flip, 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 flip back to Isaiah 7, and you find the first place that the prophet said, look, someone's going to bear a son, right? And when you get back to Isaiah 7, you're going to read what's there, but you may find yourself with more questions than answers. At least I did when I was thinking about that this week. Because Isaiah's in this situation where the people of God are being confronted by these two bad guy kings. And these two bad guy kings have teamed up. So they've got big enough guns and big enough power to wipe the people of God off the map. And so the people of God are like trembling in their boots, right? They're terrified. But then the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah, and Isaiah says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't sell out. Don't go looking for other gods or enemy nations to protect you. Stand firm in your faith. God will deliver you. And then Isaiah says, don't believe me? I'll give you a sign from the Lord. And here's the sign. Isaiah 7, 14 through 16. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. And before this child knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. In other words, Isaiah says, don't worry. Don't freak out about these two kings. A son's going to be born. They're going to name him Emmanuel, God with us. And before he gets old, these two enemy kings are going to be wiped out. Cool. What does that have to do with Matthew? I mean, on the one hand, you've got a son being born named Emmanuel, God with us, so far so good. But on the other hand, 
Isaiah doesn't say it's a virgin. Isaiah just says a young woman. And in any case, this birth, this promise has to be fulfilled way back then in Isaiah's own lifetime. The specificity of the promise is that a child is going to be born and grow up. And before he's old, these two kings are going to be taken care of. As far as anybody in Isaiah's day knew, all that Isaiah spoke by the prophet in Isaiah 7 was fulfilled by Isaiah 8, way back then. So why in the world, when Matthew wants to tell us the story of a virgin named Mary having a miraculous child by the power of the Holy Spirit named Jesus, does he say that all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah? I'll tell you why. Because Matthew sees in Jesus' birth not merely the fulfillment of a prophetic prediction, but Matthew sees in Jesus' birth the climax, the turning point, the fulfillment of all of God's story, all the story of God's ways with God's people in God's world. All that is happening in Jesus is taking place to fulfill all that God has been doing since the very beginning. And that story is so deep in Matthew's bones. That story of God being with his people is so deep in Isaiah's heart and soul that when he sees this virgin birth, he can't help but saying, ah, this is just like that other time when God proved he was with us. Because standing at the center for Matthew of the story of God's ways with God's people and God's world is this earth-shattering, life-rearranging proclamation, God with us. God with us. You see, for Matthew, what he recognizes is that one way of telling the grand story of the Old Testament is as the story of God's relentless commitment to be with his people. God's unending, boundless, limitless energy to overcome our sin and rebellion so that this God, the creator God, might be God with us, with you, and with me. Matthew knows that in Genesis, at creation, we see God building the universe like a house for him to dwell in, and then planting a garden in which to spend time with his human image bearers. Matthew knows that way back in Genesis, when those first humans rebel against God and they get kicked out of that garden, that God does not give up on being a God with us God. No, he calls a family, the family of Abraham, and he says, come, walk with me, be with me, walk in my way, and through you I will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. God with us, God with Abraham, way back there in Genesis. God knows, and Matthew knows, that when Abraham's family grew up, and in the book of Exodus, they end up enslaved by the tyrant Pharaoh who would kill their children to preserve his slave labor force. The people feel alone, they feel abandoned, they call out to God wondering, will he be with us? And Exodus says, I have heard their cry, and so I will come down and deliver them, God, with us. And the moment that God brings his people out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery, he explains the big story. You have seen, Yahweh says, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings 
and brought you to myself. God with us. And then just as soon as they get out in the wilderness, God's like, I got another great idea. We're going to build a tent. It's going to take about 400 chapters of Exodus to explain how to build this tent. It's super boring. Why are we building this tabernacle? Why are we building this movable house? God tells them, because this will be a house for me to dwell in so that I can go with you. I will dwell among the Israelites and I'll be their God, the Lord says. That's what this tent is about. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. That's the point. God with us. And the entire rest of the Old Testament unpacks this in the dark days of the judges when the people give up on God and run to other gods. When they cry out to him, they find out he's still there. And he raises up deliverers and he puts his spirit on them and they rescue the people. When Solomon decides to build a house, a temple, in Jerusalem, he knows that even the highest heavens cannot contain God. And yet he built God's house. And when he gets done, God's glorious presence so fills that temple that the priest can't even stand inside of it anymore. God with us. And God promises to be with them and stay with them in that place so long as they will follow in his ways. And of course they don't. And you remember what happens. Right? They get kicked out of the promised land. They go that long, dusty road to captivity in Babylon, the land of their enemies. The temple is destroyed. But do you know what Ezekiel says? He says that when they went into exile, God went with them. God with us. Ezekiel tells us, even while they were in exile, I was a little sanctuary for them for a while. And, God says, I will bring him back to dwell with me in the promised land. God with us. And it's that God with us story that Isaiah and the prophets pick up on. And they say, when God brings us back into the land, when he takes up residence among us, he'll bring people from every tongue and tribe and nation. He'll bring people who are our enemies. And they will become part of us. And so God will be with them too. God with us. That's the story that drives the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. It's the story of Emmanuel. It's a story of a God who will not stop, who keeps on coming, is always arriving, always showing up right at the scene that we thought he'd abandoned. That's the story of the Old Testament. It's the story of a God who will be Emmanuel, God with us, despite everything. And that's why Matthew declares that Jesus' miraculous virgin birth is no mere display of God's power. No mere fulfillment of prediction, although it is those things as well, but more, Jesus' virgin birth is the climax of God's long history with his people of being God with us. And Matthew says that all this took place to fulfill that story because he's about to show us that this God with us story is turning in a new and unimaginable direction. For now, Matthew tells us, God won't just be with us by his spiritual presence in our lives, by his spirit. He won't just be with his people in clouds and smoke and earthquake. He won't just be through his people, with his people through appointed kings and priests. No, now God will be with us in the man Jesus. 
This blue-collar worker from a backwater in Palestine will be God in the flesh. That's what incarnation means. That's what the miraculous message of Advent is. That a people who believed that there was only one God, it's very unusual in the ancient world to believe there's only one God, nevertheless had the audacity to say that this God, that God is there in Jesus, in the flesh. Where with us. And that's why as Matthew goes on to tell his gospel story, the whole story of Jesus is an Emmanuel story. In the very next chapter, before Jesus, God in the flesh is even fully out of diapers. Pagan astrologers from the east follow a star, arrive at the manger, and they know what to do. They fall on their faces and they worship him. Why? Because here is God. Here is God with us, drawing the nations in even as a child. This is why in Matthew, when Jesus walks on the water and he calms the sea and he climbs back into the boat, the disciples know what it means. They say, this is the son of God. And they fall on their faces and they worship him. This is why when Jesus is debating in Matthew with the Pharisees, he says, something greater than the temple is here. And you ask yourself, I'm sure they ask themselves, what could possibly be greater than the temple? What could be greater than the house where God dwells? What could be greater than God's home among us? And Matthew's answer is obvious. The only thing greater than God's home among us is God himself. God himself, maker of heaven and earth, enfleshed in Jesus of Nazareth walking those dusty roads, caring for widows and orphans, confronting unjust religion, driving out demons, being God, walking among his people. And of course, the surprising plot twist in Matthew's God with us story is that Jesus the creator in human flesh dies on a cross at the, as a victim of political and religious conspiracy. Jesus, God in the flesh, brings together in his own body all the work that humans were supposed to do and all of God's promises to be with his people. Let me say that again. Jesus, in his own body, brings together all that humanity was to be and do with all of God's promises to be with humanity. Both those stories reside in Jesus' own flesh, and yet, and yet, King Jesus, the incarnate one, gives his life on the cross as a ransom for many. God's commitment to be God with us costs God in the flesh his very own life. Jesus pours out his blood as we remember each and every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of sins. This Jesus, God with us, he will save his people from their sins at the cost of his own life. But even that, as we know, is not the end of this God with us story. No, we know, even in Advent, we remember God with us, that story doesn't end on the cross. No, Jesus rests in the tomb on Holy Saturday and then sometime early on Sunday morning, God raised Jesus from the dead. 
risen from the dead with all power in his hands. And this risen Lord Jesus is with his people. And then he tells him, I'm going to return to heaven from whence I shall reign with all power and all authority in my hands. So that God is with us in heaven by his rule. And even more, God reigning from heaven, risen, tells us, I will be with you till the very end of the age. The risen Lord Jesus gives us his spirit so that God is with us by his rule and in our hearts by his spirit, even as we worship here this morning. That's Matthew's God with a story, and it doesn't end there either. Because God, Matthew, points the story out further throughout the rest of the New Testament, throughout our very present and into the future when one day God will answer the prayers Jesus in Matthew taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On this earth, as it is in heaven. Why? Because the story is that God will dwell among humanity, and he will be our God, and we will be his people. That's the story of scripture. That's why Matthew can boldly say that this strange birth in Palestine came to pass to fulfill all that God was doing. Because at the center of that story is God with us. If that's the story of Scripture, if that's the story of Advent and Christmas, what does it mean for us today? At least two things. First, if that's the story, if that's what Matthew saw in Jesus, and if he was right, and I think he was, Jesus still offers himself as God with us today so that we can receive him. If God with us is the story of Scripture, running from Genesis to the end of all things, then that means that Jesus offers himself to you and to me and to us as God with us today, and we are invited to receive him. Have you, can you just, I mean, just imagine what good news that is. Like, the God with us story is a story of never-ending love of a God who's, God who's so loved, he just would not stop. He would not give up his relentless quest to dwell among his people. Are you receiving that love? Are you living in light of that love? Whether you started following Jesus 30 years ago or you're still wondering if you should start, have you received God's presence, his loving presence in your life? Do you know that love? God invites us to receive him, his with usness, his loving with usness this morning. It's a story, this God with a story is also a story of forgiveness. Did you pick up on that? They screw it up over and over again. It's ridiculous. It's almost like all those people in the Bible were exactly like us. And the good news is that God will be with us despite our sin, despite our failures, despite the way we... Do you feel that? Have, are you receiving God's forgiving presence with every breath that you take this morning? Have you been confronted with the magnitude of your sin and your shame? Have you caught glimpses of what's going on in your heart that scare you half to death? like I have, and then realize that by God's grace, the God who will not stop coming, will not stop arriving, is a God who arrives on the scene, forgiving all of our sins and iniquities, covering all of our guilt and shame, breaking all the chains of our... Are, are we receiving that God? Because that's the God who wants to be with us. The God with us story is a God who is with us in hope. Hope in a world where 
uh, we find old friends dead in their apartments. Hope in a world where violence can be unimaginable. Hope in, in a world where poverty is pervasive. Hope in a world where pandemics just won't stop killing. Hope in a world. God with us, the God of hope. Have you experienced, are you receiving that hope? The child at the end of Matthew 1 in the manger is the Lord of the universe, God with us. And Matthew invites us to receive his presence and all of his love and all of his forgiveness and all of his hope this morning and every day of our lives. Now, of course, the question is, how do you do that? Maybe especially when you're doubting, maybe especially when God doesn't seem present at all, but in fact seems absent. Those of us who spend our lives following Jesus, I suspect we'll spend our life trying to answer that question. But I think that even our quick survey this morning can give us a few ideas about how to receive God's presence, even when we doubt, even when God seems absent. First thing to say here is, before I get to those though, if you're hearing this God with us message and you've been wondering where God is, you're in good company. The story of the Bible is that many of those who received the God with us God spent a lot of their lives wondering, God, where are you, God? The Psalms cry out, where are you, O Lord? Job blasts God for not showing up on time. Jacob wrestles with God and limps for the rest of his life, and none of these figures are ever condemned or criticized for their questions. So if you're wondering, how do I receive this God with us, God, in the midst of my doubt and pain? You're in good company, but what do you do in the meantime? Well, for Matthew, I want to suggest to you that part of the way that Matthew experiences Jesus's God with us-ness is through this story that we've been telling. It's the story of God in the scripture that's so deep in Matthew's bones that he can't not see it everywhere he looks. And so Matthew and the scriptures invite us to come back when we want to experience God's presence and we're struggling to do so, to come back again and again to God's word. And Matthew tells us that all this happened because the Holy Spirit got involved. What's the difference between sensing God's presence and feeling lost at the end of the day, it's the work of the Spirit. At least that's what the scriptures say. So when we want to receive God's presence, however we're feeling, we lean into scripture and we beg him in prayer for his spirit. And we do neither of those things on our own. We do them in community. So there you have it. Whatever else we might say, God says, if you want to receive my presence, scripture, prayer, community, these are the ways that we beg God with us to show up in our lives, to help us receive him even when it's difficult. And I know that some days that won't seem like much. I'm doubting, I'm wondering where God is. All you're giving me roads is Bible, prayer, and community. I already knew that stuff. That's the basics. I've known that since I was 12. Give me something different. I hear that. I wanna wrestle with you in that. But I wanna suggest to you one of the strongest pieces of evidence that we have for our faith is that for 2,000 years, again and again, from those 120 earliest disciples to the 2.3 billion people who worship on planet Earth today, again and again, the saints have borne witness under unimaginably painful circumstances that by Scripture 
and by prayer and by the community, God shows up. If you can't believe for yourself today, believe alongside them. Believe alongside the witness of the people of God in every time and in every place that again and again, God with us, we find people who through the word and through prayer and through Christian community go, surely God is in this place and we didn't know it. God with us, Emmanuel. But secondly, if this is the story, if this God with us, God is the good news, it forces us to ask, have our lives been shattered and remade by our encounter with this God? If God with us is the central message of the scriptures, then the story forces us to ask, have our lives been shattered and remade by the presence of God among us. God with us, scripture says, is the greatest good news for humanity, but that doesn't mean it's easy news for those who receive it. Just ask Abraham, just ask Moses, just ask David, just ask Job, just ask Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the saints in exile following this God with, living with this God with us God has never been easy for the people of God, and maybe harder for the people of God who dwelt closest to this God. After all, just ask Joseph and Mary. Mary, who lived the God with us truth in her own body when she heard the word from the angel, Luke tells us. She said, how can this be? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will take care of it. And she said, I am the Lord's slave. Let it be unto me as you've spoken. Joseph woke up from his dream, and Matthew tells us he got up and he did as the Lord commanded. It's never been easy for the people of God back then, and it's never been easy for the people of God today to live with this God who is with us, even as we testify that his presence is the greatest gift that we have. But the problem is, Matthew makes clear to us in his gospel that some people were unwilling to allow their lives to be shattered and remade by this God with us in the flesh. The rich young ruler comes to get a taste of God's presence, walks away sad because he refuses to allow God's presence to shatter his relationship with money and remake it. The Pharisees encounter, and again and again, this God with us, God in Jesus, but they refuse to allow his presence to shatter them and remake them in part because they are unwilling to allow their power to be shattered and remade. Paul, every time he talks about sex, seems like he talks about this thing where we are the temple of the living God. Why? Because some in his community were just deciding that they would rather abandon this presence of God, get away from God's presence, rather than to allow God's presence to shatter them and remake them in their sexual lives. In other of Paul's letters, he retells the entire story from beginning to end of the Bible as a story of God bringing the nations, the Gentiles, our ethnic enemies inside. Why? Because some in Paul's churches were deciding they'd rather get away from God than let God's presence shatter and remake the way they thought about their ethnic identities and who their real enemies were. The witness of the Bible is not only that God has shown up, but that there is a constant temptation 
for us to get away when he does so. Because to stay in his presence is to have our lives shipwrecked in every area and remade by the holy, fiery presence of our creator with us, Emmanuel. Go back to our doubts. I want to be very careful here. Sometimes, but not always. Sometimes, not by no means always, but sometimes our doubts, our desire to resist, sometimes our doubts are driven by our desires to resist God's shipwrecking presence in our lives because we fear what will happen if we give ourselves over to a God who is with us and will shatter us before he remakes us. C.S. Lewis says it really well. He says, you know, most people like an impersonal God. That's pretty good. A subjective God of truth, beauty, and goodness, I can live with that. Some kind of life force that I can plug into in my time of need, best of all. And then Lewis says this, but God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the rope, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed. God, the hunter, king, husband, that is quite another matter. There comes a moment when children who've been playing burglars or robbers hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? And there comes a moment when people who've been dabbling in religion, man search for God, suddenly draw back. Suppose we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he had found us. Brothers and sisters, the good and terrifying news of the gospel is that Jesus, the hunter, the king, the husband, has found us, and he will not let us go. But he demands that his presence shatter and remake us in his image. Will you allow the God at the center of the God with us story to do that in your life and in my life? Emmanuel, God with us. God with you, God with me, God with y'all, God with us. That's at the center of scripture. That's at the center of Advent. That's at the center of Christmas. So brothers and sisters, that is the good news of the gospel. So let us receive this God who will be with us. And let us allow his presence to transform our lives. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Jesus, I can't imagine that those wise men who worshiped or your disciples in the boat had any clue about the fullness of what it would mean for them to say, this child is worthy of worship. This man, Jesus, is God in the flesh. I'm sure, I'm sure they only got it half right. I'm sure they only half knew what they were saying. And we stand with them, Jesus, on our faces, on our faces before the unsayable mystery 
that you who spun out the stars and holds every inch of the world in your hands became one of us. That you are a God who will be with us, who has been with us, and who will be with us fully in the future. God, help us to receive your presence this morning, wherever we are in our journey with you. And would this place, would this community be a community that shows all the signs of being shattered and remade by your glorious, loving, forgiving, hopeful, good presence in our midst. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Meet with our Lord Jesus here together this day. For where two or three are gathered, Jesus promises people, there he is among us. Scripture, prayer, community, there are opportunities to engage in these things with us as a church even these next few weeks. If you're looking for a way to read Scripture together and to pray, I commend to you the devotional that's available, a few we have here left, or you can email jesse at downtownchurch.com to figure out how to get your own. We've got Sunday school the next two weeks. Where we're gathering to study Scripture together and to be helped to learn how to pray, and there'll be more of that in the new year. But if you're here this morning and you're wondering, how do I receive Jesus for the first time? Or if you're thinking, man, I don't know if I'm ready or if I don't know if I know how to keep receiving Jesus' presence at this stage in my life, I want to let you know that uh, I will be over here at the end of the service. I'll ask a few of our community group leaders, men and women, to come join me down here. If you would like prayer for any reason, for any reason, as you sojourn with God in this season, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to talk to you. So I ask a few of my community group leaders, friends, to join me down here after the service. But now let's stand and prepare for the benediction, God's blessing on our lives. I would remind you that as heirs of the promise of Abraham, God's presence in your life is not just for you, but for God to use you to bless the world. So I'm going to ask you to turn slightly towards the door to remind you that the experience of God that we're having now is for the sake of our going out to make him known out there. So stretch out your hands and receive God's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you the great peace of his presence now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.